with what to share. I've got uh, about four pages of notes, but yet, um, you know, in the prayer room last night, I, my heart was kind of filled. Um, and it's um, gospel-centered, you know, it's, it, it definitely follows along the theme of, you know, what Christians across the globe are in and celebrating and reflecting upon, meaning Lent. Um, but Lent has been, it's been powerful for me this year. Um, I think mainly in years prior, I always treated traditions as just like, oh, whatever, you know, Christian traditions kind of bore me. Um, but as I get into the studying of the gospel and I get into looking at the sacrifice made by Christ, my, my heart is just, I don't know, just deeply impacted. And so I'm wrestling on what direction to go this morning. Should I stay here or should I just chart on uncharted waters and share what's in my heart. Um, I think it'd be better if I trust the Holy Spirit, and that could be messy, so I'm asking for grace. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not perfect in this as a pastor. You know, you, you definitely feel things, and you're, you know, I'm a praying man, so that doesn't help, you know, <laughs> like, meaning that my heart is always wrecked in prayer, you know, and um, sometimes you can prepare and plan, and and you get into prayer, you get into the presence of the Lord, and he just changes things. That's a plug for prayer, um, you know, especially if you want to preach or do anything. Um, if you want to go to the missions field, if you want to preach the word, if you want to sing, I, I'd encourage you to um, position your life uh, to not just entertain and play with prayer, but really give yourself over to prayer. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a tremendous difference between Christians who are just dabbling and, you know, give me that. I love it. My, Beth, my Bethany, <laughs> my wife, she always holds me accountable for my shallowness. <laughs> you know, I love it as a Christian, you know. I'm just like you. I can become very shallow. And, like, we try to do this morning devotional thing, you know, where we kind of grab Abram. And Bethany's always like, grab your guitar. I'm like, the last thing I want to do on a Monday morning is sing. I'm like, I, I don't want to do it. Um, and, 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 you know, I can tell when my heart is just not connected to the moment, you know, or in the moment there with my child and my wife. I'm just praying things that are just so shallow, just, you know, so, you know, inevitable, um, and, uh, instead of just allowing my heart to actually connect with the Lord in prayer. And some of us just need to learn that, you know, our hearts need to be connected to the Lord in prayer. We try to do so many things out of the grace of God simply because we're not um, communicating and dialoguing with God. And, and, the, and the awesome thing about prayer is God's created it as a tool for us to have the things to equip us for the things that we need to do. And so that's a little plug for prayer, and that's a little plug for what happened last night, you know, in my heart. And it's all around the gospel. We were praying Christ-centered prayers, and, and we were reflecting in the season, you know, the sacrifice of Christ. And... Um, I just begin to think, you know, as, and it's, it's definitely connected to what I prepared here to also. But, you know, I started to think of, of, of ways that, that I personally water down um, the gospel message. I, I really started to become startled with just how much in the church, and I'm not just talking about Hilltop, but the church at large, especially the churches that I listen to and I glean from, talk little about the gospel. Everything is about... This revelation, that dream, this prophecy, you know, of which is, I'm not downing. I love that we have prophecy. I love that we have dreams, and I love that we have these things at our disposal. I'm grateful for revelation. But 
I, I, I can't, and maybe it's because of the season, I can't dismiss um, and take out of this equation the gospel, the, the, the kind of deep, focused attention that the sacrifice of Christ need, needs. Sorry. You know, I believe that the gospel, you know, how many just struggle with trying to keep you know, f- that first love for Christ, like, on. You know, I've been in ministry, I don't know, how many years, babe? 20 years? Maybe more? It's scary. I wish I was a new believer. There's something so precious about being a new believer. You know, years doesn't mean a thing. You know, it means you got to fight harder. You know? But, you know, I, I, I got to thinking about the gospel, and, and just probably mostly because of Lent, and what it's doing in my heart, like actually absorbing and taking in to my heart and into my mind Christ's sacrifice, Christ's death, his burial and resurrection, I, I started to just see a, a kind of change um, in my own heart and in my own spirit in terms of not always having to fight hard to keep that first love. You know, Jesus said, you shall love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? I know I'm not getting it verbatim, but that's, that's kind of the core. And yet, as Christians, we have a hard time doing that. I'm going to be honest with you. I have a hard time loving God with my mind. I have a hard time loving God with my strength and with my soul. I mean, can anybody attest to that? But anyways, as I'm going through this week, and I'm really just getting into the Word, and I've got to be honest, the message prep wasn't all that exciting. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was actually talking to Bethany. I was like, I don't know where this is going to go. And that's why I'm so grateful for last night. Because, you know, I did everything here, and last night just connected it all here. Another plug for prayer. But I started to think, I started to think, well, Daryl, what is the difference this week or these weeks? What is the difference in your heart? Because you have this, I was just noticing, just a fresh admiration, a fresh love and respect and, and, and deepened desire for the Lord. Like, I don't know if I've ever experienced before. I'm sure I have, but it was nice to experience this. Because it feels like if, for, not for anything, that I haven't experienced it in a long time. And I started to just think about what I was meditating upon those two weeks, and it was the gospel. And this is what I kind of just framed um, what the gospel is doing me for me currently and what I believe the gospel can do for us. And what do I mean by the gospel? I mean, we talked about this last Sunday. Sorry if you weren't there. I, I don't want to kind of go back to try to bring everybody up to speed. Go to the website, listen to the message. I mean, I'm sure that we all have a, a somewhat of a frame of what the gospel is. But I started to think, and what's the difference about, you know, my heart kind of being inflamed, if you would, you know? You know, you just have those seasons. And I started to just realize that my attention has just been given over to the gospel, to the, to the, to the deepened reflection of Christ's death, his burial and resurrection, and really what it means. And I believe that the gospel-centered Christianity inflames and deepens our admiration for Christ. And it, it ultimately, this is the kicker, it wars against lukewarmness. I don't know if you've read Revelation, but Jesus gave John that message. And Jesus said that he spits lukewarm believers out of his mouth. That he, neither, he, he either wants you cold or hot. And, and, and I'm starting to think about just the kind of fluctuation and impulses of my own heart. And kind of even, dare I say, 
uh, struggling with lukewarmness. I'm just a pastor, man. I, I go through it too. Disconnected, unengaged, uninterested, not wanting to. You know, I go through everything. So I started to realize, wow, man, it feels like I've entered into something here that's precious. And I ultimately feel that it's because my attention has been so given to the gospel. Now, how do we do that? You know, I don't know about you if you've noticed in church today, not in all circles, but many. And I would say this one. And it's not to its credit. It's not a good thing. But we have kind of taken two key words that really give, um, they really frame for us the gravity of what Christ spared us from and saved us from. I don't know about you, when I was growing up in my 20s, man, I heard about hell all the time. It was on the big screen. It was in the preacher's mouth. I mean, you just turn or burn, baby. I mean, I'm not for it. I'm not saying it. Listen, listen to me. But I've, I've noticed in recent years that that, that three-letter word that is just so ugly has been taken and not used. But you know what? It's one of the key tenets. It's one of the key um, foundations of us as believers understanding, fully understanding what we've been spared from. You know that most theologians say that Jesus taught. This can be probably debated and disagreed with, but most theologians say that Jesus talked the most about hell. If that's the case, why do we as Christians, meaning me as a pastor, give so little attention to it? Or let's take another popular word in 2017, the wrath of God. Ooh, I don't know what's your theology on that. But do you understand today as a believer, you know, 20 years, that Actually coming in to contact, actually reflecting upon what I've been spared from or saved from and spared from, so inflames a deepened passion for Jesus like nothing else. I mean, if you read what hell is like, and ultimately my heart can't help but to be moved because I see it in Scripture. I'm like, oh, I've been spared. Or let's talk about the wrath of God. Not a pretty word in charismatic circles. Let me just target the craziness of charismatic circles where we're actually taking language out to make people more comfortable. I'm telling you, friend, the last feeling you're going to have if your heart's not right with Jesus is being comfortable when he peers out of those clouds. I don't know what you've been told. But we're, it's going to be shock and awe. Not everything that we have seen currently will pale in comparison to the coming of Jesus and his wrath. I mean, if you, if we, we need to give our attention to these things. You know, Jesus said, hey, don't fear man, fear God. Because you know what? God has the power to destroy you. Man can only destroy a part of you, but God can destroy all of you. And you know what he says? When it comes to him destroying all of you, it's putting us or placing us, separating us from him for all of eternity in hell. Not a pretty sight. You know, the thing is, where am I getting? I believe that when we actually 
live a life focusing on what Christ has done for us, focusing on the gospel, that we can't help to be moved, motivated in our hearts, live a life of prayer, worship, pray, preach, whatever, share the gospel. I mean, when you actually know what you've been spared from and saved from, man, I, I, I am so filled with gratitude in my heart. But I understood the danger of these different things being taken and, and my attention not be given to them. Because we want to powder puff it some way in the church, don't we? We want to make it more, what do I mean by that? We want to make it more, more appealing. And it's not very appealing. I wrestle so much with this because it's not very appealing today to stand in front of you and talk about things like hell and God's wrath. I don't, you may take me as a like, you know, uh, I've been called a, what is it, a, uh, uh, what are the Puritans? You know, you may take me as like this, this holy roller to just want hellfire and brimstone, but these things are real. And it would be a disservice to you as a pastor if I didn't tell you. But more than that, guys, these, this is the foundation of our faith. And really, what I'm going at is not to just paint some fear that you should have of going to hell and the wrath of God. If that's what you think, you have so missed it. I'm mainly speaking to those of you who've been walking with the Lord for 20 years, 15 years, maybe longer. Of ultimately one key that I found just in Lent that really has energized and awakened such a deep love for Christ like never before. You know, we have sozo, bozo. We have, uh, you know, inner healing. We have, and all, all we have, come get your word in the back room of the prayer room, whatever. I don't know, healing rooms. We have everything, books galore. And you know what? I can't help but see that the epidemic in the church of lukewarmness going away. And so I'm thinking, like, what is the key? I think this is the key, guys. I think living as gospel-centered Christians that don't just bring the gospel into play because it's a tradition. And I understand that's really my agitation with it. Like, when you study Lent, I'm so grateful for it because I needed that reminder. But when you study Lent, it just sounds like Christianity 101. Man, when I study it, I'm like, what we're supposed to reflect upon, what we're supposed to do and sacrifice and relate to Jesus, all these things, repentance. I, I started thinking, like, man, this is what I want to live. I want to live in this tension. Don't you want to live in this tension? Yeah, we want to celebrate Easter. Yeah, we want to do the Christmas thing. Yeah, we don't want to do Lent. But what would it be like for a bunch of Christians just to live gospel-centered Christianity? Where it didn't take a 40-day calendar season to remind us of these things, but we lived in the tension and the throes of what we've been spared from. The wrath of God. You know what the wrath of God is? Look at the passions of Christ. That movie there by Mel Gibson, you'll see the wrath of God visually. Because all of God's wrath against sin came upon Jesus in full force where the Bible says he was unrecognizable. And sometimes we just major on those things. And, we're, we're, and we should major on the broken body of Christ. But we should also focus right into what, what it did for us, what it saved us from, the wrath of God and hell. I even get tongue-tied saying it because it makes me nervous. It's not popular in the church these days to talk about those things. It's not. We've painted God 
we, we've made God in really our own image. You, listen, you can in your mind disagree with me and throw your stones, but you cannot remove these core tenets from Scripture. You can say, I got this revelation and that prophecy and this thing and that thing, but when you look at the Word... When you look at the sayings of Jesus, you cannot remove the language of hell and the wrath of God, and that being what we were spared from when Christ went to the cross. You cannot. Why am I saying that? Because I'm not looking for a church of powder puffs, me including. I don't want to be a powder puff. I want to, what do I mean by that? Just like, just make it, make it acceptable. Make it easy. Friend, it is not easy. Narrow is the way. Come on. Are we reading our scriptures? It's not easy. It's truth. And sometimes truth is hard, isn't it? Don't feel good. Listen to this scripture. Let me. It's Romans. I'm sorry that I haven't brought a scripture into play. Romans. Um, Chapter 1, 18 through 19. You can turn there if you want. No pressure. It's just two verses. But listen to this and get past the language. <laughs> Let's not get hung up on words like anger and wrath and all these things and sin. Let's not get hung up. This is a scripture. This is a scripture of which we all, I feel, profess to love, profess to read and study. But here's what Paul says. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful people who suppresses the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth. Now connect this to what I'm saying. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. People who suppress the truth by their wickedness, ultimately suppress it because it's uncomfortable. You know, I've got a frame that's easy. Or not abrasive. I don't know. It's so easy because we're not comfortable with words like wrath and the idea of hell and all these things to start suppressing that truth. It's so easy to be dismissive, and mainly just ignore. Come on, we can just ignore it as a church. It never be brought to the table, and it will ultimately go away. Why do you think sometimes in churches, especially those who believe that the gifts in the Spirit no longer exist, they teach little about it? They're hoping it just goes away. Just, just drops out of the mind, becomes unimportant, you know? And we can... We can try to dismiss these things and suppress them because it's more comfortable for us. Because as David said so eloquently when he was taking the offering that we are sinful people. I'm, I'm sorry that to say that, but the truth is we are sinful people. We're a wreck. And be it far from us to suppress the truth because of our sinfulness. Is anybody hearing me? Be it far from us to suppress the truth of Scripture because of our wickedness. Do you know that that's actually how the truth gets suppressed? Because in our sin, we don't want to face the truth. We want to make new truths. Let me say that again. In our sin, we don't want to face the truth. We want to make up new truths. 
We want to twist the scripture. We don't do it mainly intentionally. We do it mainly because we are sinful and fallible and broken people. And let me just remind you, I'm right in... I'm right in line with the next hypocrite among us. I'm right in line with the fornicator. I'm li- I'm, I am the greatest of all sinners. <laughs> I have nothing this morning to boast about other than the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Nothing. My title, me singing, me preaching, nothing. I have nothing to boast about. And see, like we talked about last week, let me just, let me, let me stay on this vein. I'm not going to go back to last week. We can't remove the truth of Scripture because it's more comfortable or it's just more comfortable to ignore because we don't like it. Church, we have to be a church that faces the truth. Why do we do that? Because we can fully absorb the finished work of the cross. See, I'm not worried this morning. Um, I'm not even remotely concerned with or have any interest in suppressing the truth. Why? Because I have fully absorbed the finished work of the cross. Therefore, for me to talk like I'm talking this morning, for me to hear if I was sitting in the seat and I heard these words spoken this morning, there would be nothing within my heart that could be touched. There would be no kind of offense taken. There would be nothing about the man preaching. It would be, that's the truth. There would be nothing in my heart. Why? Because I am settled in the finished work of the cross. I know I'm a wicked man. I know I am prone to make new doctrine to fit in within my wickedness, to make it more comfortable and appealing. But I won't. Why? Because there's nothing within me that needs to. Because I have fully absorbed the finished work of the cross. I know I deserve wrath. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. I don't need, I don't need some charismatic uh, person to prophesy over me anything different. And believe me, I know I deserve wrath, and I know I'm a child of God. <laughs> yeah, I really do. I have no conflict in my heart at all. And some of us in this room are so conflicted over the two. How can we be a child of God, but yet the wrath of God? How can we be a child of God, but yet... He's talking about hell? It's simple. Because it's not of us. We have nothing to boast in. Everything has been done for us. So I have no problem. I I walk confident. I'm a sinner. But I can get up here and preach before you. I'm not taking my sin lightly, actually. I'm not doing it at all. I actually believe that the grace of God puts more of a requirement on me to live an upright life. I actually believe that. And so the gospel has a way of of creating a constant kind of touch, if you would. I don't know how to explain it, but it just inflames us and rips us from that lukewarm state that kind of feels like a roller coaster. How many can relate to what I say? You know, some of us Christian experiences feel like you're riding on the Disneyland Superman roller coaster. I mean, seriously, one day you're up, one day you're down. Hey, I'm right there. One day I'm up. I'll use myself. One day I'm up, one day I'm down, one day I'm there, one day I'm there, one day I'm turning around, you know. One day I'm like, yeah, we're going to take the city. Next day I'm like, what are we doing? You know, uh, I don't know. It's like a roller coaster. Can anybody relate? That one day you feel like you could 
run through a troop, leap over a wall, you know? And the next day you're like, whoa, who is that man? Jesus, get behind me, Satan. And, and the, the passion really that I have ultimately in this mission is this message is to see Christians come into a steady stride in their Christian walk. I am so tired, and I think it so cheapens the gospel to say that our Christian experience is reduced nothing more than a roller coaster ride at Disneyland. Woo! I, I renounce. <laughs> Getting charismatic. <laughs> Hallelujah. I renounce that mindset. We are not just people given over to just ride a series of ups and downs and lefts and rights and turns and twists. God has called us to that steady stride. But you know what? You're not going to get that steady stride unless you put Christ ever before you. Come on, why do you think that's what Paul talks about, about lifting your eyes upon Jesus? You know, when you're going through persecution, hey, you can do it. Why? Because Christ did it. Lift your eyes. Look at the gospel. (laughs) Am Am I connecting with anybody here today? Come on. So we don't have to live that life of ups and downs. We can steady our emotions. We can steady our, our, our reactions and impulses around Jesus. Gospel-centered Christianity has the power to inflame your dead up and down life Christianity. Come on, guys. That was a golf clap. My God. Guys, my God. Lord, Listen, you can clap, you can yell, you can lift your hands. Please, don't, please yell at the right times. But you can, you can celebrate this news. Oh. Like, get excited. No, but seriously, guys. You are... Do you ever, do you ever wonder why... Alan Hood said this one time. It's so good. I don't actually think that he came up with it, but he said it in this first one I heard. But he said, have you ever noticed that when the third of the angels rebelled against God and fell with Satan, that God seemingly was silent? You wouldn't even get from Scripture that he really cared. But one man, one woman fall, and it affects all of humanity, and God sends not just one of his many sons. He sends his one and only son, his beloved son, to die for you and for me so that we could be spared from the wrath of God as sinful people. You know, yeah, it's true. God is adamantly against sin. Make no qualms about it. You can't fit your new doctrines in it. God is against it. He hates it. But he provides a solution. Oh, I can almost mention the, the zeal of God. I hate sin. But I'm sending my son. He's going to die and he's going to take on the wrath. That I have against sin. Remarkable. We stand this morning under that grace. There should never be a reason that we should lift our hands and dance and shout. We have 
we hold some of the greatest news. The greatest news, not some, the greatest news. Third of the angels fall. God does nothing silent. Almost like he doesn't care. One man, one woman fall. His creation, and he sends not the one of many of his sons, but his only beloved son to die. And now we stand today, not ashamed, not ashamed because of our sin. We know God's against sin. We know he abhors sin. He knows he can't, we know he can't tolerate sin. But you know what? The loving thing about God is, is he sent his son so that we could be reconciled as sinful people. And he didn't just do it as us being perfect. He did it while we were still sinners and still sinning. I mean, does this grip your hearts today with such gratitude? It does mine. It does mine. When you actually begin to frame the wrath of God in your mind, and you actually start to think, oh my, I've been spared from God's wrath. And you do, then you begin, to, you begin to start to frame eternal damnation and separation from God with the, the, the hell kind of concept of Scripture. And you're like, oh, I've been spared. I should go. I should be there. But He bore my shame. He bore. He took upon Himself what I deserved. Now, I know I'm preaching... I'm preaching old school on you. But I think we have so lost the preciousness of Christ's sacrifice. I'm looking that this energizes me for the rest of my life. I'm looking like after these 40 days, when I'm in that pit, I can think, not because it's Lent. I can start to just focus in. And reflect upon Jesus in a sacrifice. And my heart becomes energized. My heart becomes inflamed and alive again. And I sign back up. And it's, it's, it's mainly not emotional-led Christianity, feeling-led Christianity. It is gospel-centered Christianity. That's what I want. That's what I want for this church. I love the feely-feely, touchy-touchy, Holy Spirity. I love it. But it can be so misleading. The gospel will not let us down. Prophecy will let you down. Dreams will let you down. They'll fall short of satisfying you. Tongues, the gift of the Spirit, miracles, hear me. They will let you down. My friend, they do let me down. But the gospel will never let me down. I just dropped my water. Thank you, Izzy. You don't have to do that. I was just going to let it flow. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Let's build Hilltop Church. Let's build our lives around the gospel. Uh, Let's let's look for prophecy wherever we can get it. Let's, let's, Let's look for words of encouragement whenever we can get it. Let's get dreams. Let's get visions of God. But let us hold tightly and tether our hearts to the gospel. And then we will succeed. Not only as individuals, but as a church. And so, that's what kind of went off in my heart. Saturday. (laughs) 
I'm not an angry man at all. I'm just a passionate man. I've been accused of reminding people of being, uh, sounding or being like Hitler. It's never a comparison you want. Uh, there were some cultural things there. I'm sure that's what it was, but I'm not angry at all. I'm passionate about this, and I want you to be as passionate. It doesn't have to look like mine, but I want us to be passionate about this thing that we love and that we cherish and that we're being reminded of right now in this Lent season. Amen? Stand to your feet. John Cho, will you come? If I could get a couple of fellas to uh, remove this table and to bring over um, the communion table. Communion's right there, and that table's right there. Thank you, guys. We have an opportunity to take communion. Our hopes is uh, that we'll be taking communion every Sunday, at least for these 40 days, as a reminder of the sacrifice that was made for us to not become over-familiar. See, that's, I think, the key of what I'm talking about. We've become so over-familiar with the gospel message that it really has lost its potency in our hearts and in our minds. And I'm just asking that we would be reminded and not truly just reflect because it's Lent, but actually live a life of reflection and let Lent trickle out into 365 days in a year you know, 24, seven hours in a day, you know, whatever it is. Um, but John's going to take over. He's going to lead us in uh, taking the elements.